So we are in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. And we, we already covered the first half of this last time. So let me just summarize it. <clears throat> Daniel sees a vision. He's 69 years old. <clears throat> this is the, the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He, he, uh, uh, he's 69 years old, approximately late 60s when he has this vision. And he has this vision of a, of a, um, of a ram with, with uh, uh, two horns. <clears throat> and this ram of two horns, we know represents the kingdom of Medo-Persia, the Medes and the Persians. And we know that because it says it later on in the chapter. It says one horn sprung up first, but another horn sprung up second, which was larger than the first. That's because Medo-Persia... Was the Medes were more established than the Persians early on, and then the Persians came and subsumed the Medes, and so it was Medo-Persia, but Persia being the dominant of the two. <clears throat> and then we saw this, this uh, male goat, or this he-goat, comes up and ends up killing with, with this tremendous force, comes after this, this, uh, this ram and, and uh, uh, destroys the, the ram, and this male goat is, is the kingdom of Greece, because it says later on in the chapter, is the kingdom of Greece. So this is the, 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 uh, this, the second and the third kingdoms being stressed here, are being stressed in, in, in Daniel chapter 8. We had seen the four different kingdoms in Daniel chapter 2. We had seen them again in Daniel chapter 7. Here we're focusing in just on the... On, 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 uh, um, the Medo-Persians and the Greeks. We talked about Alexander the Great and why there was such an attack on the Medo-Persians and it dated back to this anger that the Greeks had when Xerxes had attacked the Greeks and taken several of their cities away. And this is why there was an attack. It talked about how this he-goat or male goat came in very swiftly. Alexander the Great was known to have moved very swiftly. And as we move on down during this chapter, and then, and then remember Alexander the Great dies at the age of 32. He becomes king at the age of 20, dies at the age of 32. So, so at a young age, in the prime of his life, I mean, just boom, gone very quickly. And that's talked about how that horn broke off. Four horns come up in its place. Those are the four generals, which over a period of 40 years, the kingdom was subdivided to those four generals. And then we talked about one general in particular, one king in particular that rose up after those four generals, Antiochus. Antiochus had an, an enormous hardship upon the Jews. He attacked what was called the beautiful land in the scripture. And he was a type of Antichrist. So just as we have a type of Christ, we have people that picture Jesus. We have picture, a picture in Antiochus. Antiochus Epiphanes, he named himself Antiochus Epiphanes, meaning God himself. Uh, he exalted himself up into a godly position. And he is the one who came with the, the, uh, um, this abomination of desolations when he sacrificed a pig on the very altar in Jerusalem. And, it was, and, and so there was this, this, uh, this period of six and a half years where the torment started. And we read several portions from the book of Maccabees, which documents the history of this. That's not an inspired book of the Bible, but it is a, a, a intertestamental book. 
and a book from which the Jews get the, the, uh, the occasion of Hanukkah. And so we know from that book that it was the, the, uh, December 25th, 165 BC, that the temple was cleansed. The temple was cleansed. Uh, and so it was 2,300 days before that, September 9th, 171 BC, that the, that the destruction started. And we know that indeed it was that year that Antiochus started giving all this attack on, on uh, the city of Jerusalem. We didn't know the year until we just tracked back 2,300 days, as, as the very Bible tells us in this chapter, from the December 5th, 165 B.C. So that brings you up to date from where we were last time. <clears throat> then he says, he, 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 it goes on down and... and um, then it says, we'll start reading from verse 15. When I, Daniel, this is Daniel chapter 8. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Ulai. And he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So remember, Daniel in his vision is transported into the city of Susa which we hear a lot about later on in, in, in the Bible. But this city of Susa is in Persia, and it was not a capital city at the time Daniel was, was uh, having this vision. It several hundred years later became a capital city. So you see the prophetic word in this. But he says that he was standing there, and he saw one that looked like a man. This is the first image, this is the first time that an angel in the Bible is given a name. And in this case, is given Gabriel. And this man, Gabriel, in fact, we see this man, Gabriel, at other times. Uh, he is going to appear actually uh, uh, later on in the Bible on, on several occasions in, in, in the book of Luke in, in, in particular. He's very active in this, uh, in this period, very active in this period uh, um, uh, in Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 19, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, Gabriel is mentioned. But he hears a voice instructing Gabriel to go ahead and give an understanding to Daniel, give him more understanding as to what he sees. So the angel Gabriel, and it's interesting because if you, if you see pictures, historic pictures of angels, they'll often portray an angel as a woman. We never see a woman angel in the Bible. I don't know why that is, but whenever women, whenever angels are shown, they are depicted in the Bible with male names for, for some reason. They probably don't have a gender, but they are given male names. And, and uh, uh, so you, you, Gabriel is, is the man's name, and he is going to give an understanding. In verse 17, so he came near to where I was standing. So this angel, Gabriel, we know Gabriel is an angel because he's later on described as, as Gabriel, the messenger angel of God. So he comes and... and uh, who was this voice speaking to him? It was probably Michael, the archangel, because later on in Daniel, we'll see Gabriel and Michael were working together. Gabriel, this messenger angel, Mike, Michael, the chief of the angels, the archangel. <clears throat> so Gabriel comes near to where Daniel is. And it says, so, so he came near to where I was standing. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, son of man, Understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. So, <clears throat> the appearances as a man, 
is the command of another angel from, from, from the other side of the bank speaking to Gabriel. And uh, Daniel, his immediate reaction is fear and he falls down flat on his face. And this is the picture you normally see in the Bible when angels appeared to people that they were frightened. Very often they were frightened. There were two angels that were actually sitting in the, uh, in the grave when Jesus had risen from the dead and they looked like young men. And when they appeared as people, they generally appeared as young men. Sometimes they appeared as holding swords. Sometimes they, they appeared as, as, as frightening beings. Sometimes they weren't as frightening. Here Daniel falls on his face and then he calls him, he calls him son of man. Again, it's speaking of this human frailty. But then he says... What the vision I'm going to give you pertains to the time of the end. So he's going to mention Antiochus' kingdom and what's going to happen to the Jews during that period, but then he's going to switch into the time of the end. So we hear about Antiochus, which is a, 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 a type of Antichrist, then he's going to switch to the last three and a half years before the coming of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and he says, he says now, in verse... Uh, Verse 18, Now while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and he made me stand upright. So it says, As he was talking to me, I sank into a deep sleep. In fact, in fact, uh, um, if you look in the literal translation, it will translate that word not as sleep, but it, it, he fell into a trance. But if we take it as sleep, maybe I shouldn't be upset when I'm teaching and students fall asleep. Just... You know, if this happened to, to Gabriel, I mean, Gabriel is speaking. First time he's speaking to people. Daniel falls asleep while he's speaking. But don't be surprised if you fall asleep, if I come up to you and I touch you, and I ask you to stand up. Because that's what Gabriel did. It says he fell asleep with his face to the ground, but he touched me and he made me stand upright. And he said, Behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. So again, up in verse 17, he said it's the time of the end. Here he says it's the time of the end. And he says it's the final period of indignation. So what I'm about to tell you is going to be a characteristic of what's going to happen in the end times. I'm going to give you a little snippet of Antiochus and the, the Persians Medo-Persia and the Greeks, but then we're going to go and talk all about the end times. He says in verse, in verse 20, the ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. And the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. Okay, so that's all he's going to mention about Antiochus. That's it. He's going to say that the ram that you saw, that is Medo-Persia. And that we got just by comparing that to what we even saw in the other chapters. And he says that the, the, the next one that came is Greece. That we got from other chapters as well. And he says that horn that broke, that, is, that, that we know now is Alexander the Great. That horn was broken off. And the, these four horns, that we know is the four generals. Now he starts speaking about the last period. This is, this is in, in the... Uh, uh, in, there's a seven-year period of tribulation. This is after the church has already been raptured. So in other words, 
There are no preconditions for the rapture. The rapture can occur at any time. The rapture is where people who are believers are taken up directly from this life into heaven. Before they're taken up directly, the dead in Christ, those who died knowing Christ, will rise first. Graves will break open and they will rise. If that troubles you, then what do you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does that trouble you as well? Remember it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you do not believe in the physical resurrection of Christ, you are of all men most to be pitied. You don't know the Lord Jesus if you don't believe in His physical resurrection. If you call yourself a Christian, there is a physical resurrection of Jesus. And it says that not only will there be a physical resurrection of Jesus, there will also be a resurrection of those who are known to Him. Those whom He knows, there will also be a resurrection. And so you see that what happens now is that He's speaking, this rapture is of those who are known in Christ. The church will be taken, those who are known, and those who knew Christ but passed away, and then they are going to be resurrected first, and then the church. So the church is already gone. The seven years of tribulation will begin before Christ returns, the seven years of tribulation must occur. There are no preconditions for the rapture. That could happen at any instant. The, the second coming of Christ must be preconditioned by the seven-year tribulation period. That's how we know Jesus is not coming today. He's not coming tomorrow. How do you know? Because it says that the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem three and a half years into the tribulation, halfway through the tribulation period, the start of the tribulation. And you say, how do you know all this? Because I read ahead. I read ahead of you in the Bible. That's how I know. Because I've read the rest of Daniel, because I've read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and because I've read the book of Revelation, particularly Revelation 11, 13, and 17. Chapters 11, 13, and 17. That's how I know all this. And so what will happen is that there is going to be this period of tribulation. The Jews will make an agreement with the Antichrist at the beginning of the tribulation. The Antichrist will then have the abomination of desolations. Again, a pig will be offered on the altar three and a half years into the tribulation. The Antichrist will set himself up. And that's when the Jews will separate from the Antichrist and many Jews will come to the Lord. There are many people, Gentiles, that will come to the Lord after the rapture. And they are also going to be part of this persecution period as well. But those that knew the Lord, those that knew the Lord got taken in the rapture, but many after the rapture will come to the Lord. Many Jews and many Gentiles will come to the Lord. So what he's talking about here is this latter period. Daniel chapter 8, verse 23. In the latter period of their rule, when the transgressions have run their course, a king will arise insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will be destroyed to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. And he will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. And he will magnify himself in his heart. And he will destroy many while they are at ease. And he will even oppose the prince of princes. But he will be broken without human agency. The vision of evenings and mornings which has been told is true. 
but keep the vision secret for it pertains to many days in the future. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astonished at the vision and there was none to explain it. So this is what Gabriel tells him. We're talking about the end days. So Gabriel begins to summarize this. So, so he, he has Daniel stand upright. And, and uh, so he, he introduces, first tells him about Antiochus. Then he gets into this latter period. The statements are dealing about the tribulation period. Here's a, a, an expanded paraphrase of what he's saying. I shall cause you to know by way of explanation what will occur in the latter portion of indignation. That's the great tribulation. Which will, have a, which will have long before been foreshadowed or pre-typed by the oppression of Antiochus Epiphanes, directly predicted by verses 9 through 14 of that same chapter. This latter portion, cons- constituting the appointed time of the end of the times of the Gentiles. So Jesus spoke, when the times of the enti- Gentiles has ceased. That is the end of the tribulation period, and that's when the Lord himself will return. So what's described in verses 23 through 25 is for the Antichrist. What's described in verses 9 through 14 is for Antiochus Epiphanes. The interpretation of the ram. So he he talks about this interpretation. And then he moves into the four kingdoms. And in in verse 23, he starts speaking about the future times. That during the, there's going to be a great tribulation period. And it's going to talk about the one who's going to rise up. The king is going to have a fierce countenance and he shall stand up and he shall be insolent. That's what the Antichrist is going to be like. The Antichrist is not a period of time. It is a man. That's what it tells us in 2 Thessalonians. There's a lot of imagery in the book of Daniel. There's a lot of imagery in the book of Revelation. There is no imagery in the book of second, in, in the epistle of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. People were getting confused and Paul wanted to spare them the confusion so he told them exactly what was going to happen without any imagery. He said it is going to be a man that is going to arise. And so so, uh, uh, we know that this is going to be a man. He's going to be able to solve riddles, untie knots, the same sorts of expressions that were given to Daniel to be able to solve great mysteries. The Antichrist is going to do this by the power of Satan. The same thing that, that Daniel was able to do by the power of God. His power shall be mighty, it's strong. It's not his own power, but he's going to have satanic power behind him. This is exactly what it says here, exactly what it says in Second Thessalonians. So the Antichrist himself will be empowered by Satan. The Antichrist is not Satan. Satan is not a man. The Antichrist will be a man. He shall destroy amazingly. He shall have supernatural power. He'll succeed in his goals. He'll be willful. He will destroy the mighty ones. That's the Jewish leaders. He's going to destroy them during the second half of the tribulation period. He's going to destroy the holy people, the Jewish people. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9 tells us that two-thirds of the Jewish people on earth will die during that period. Two-thirds of them will die during that second half of the tribulation. That's a lot of people that are going to die. A lot of a particular class of people, particular ethnic group, it tells us in Zechariah. Many other people will die too, but of that ethnic group, two-thirds of them will die. Remember, under Hitler, one-third of them died. Two-thirds of them will die under under, uh, the Antichrist. Through his policy, he's going to succeed by deceitfulness. 
He'll magnify his, his own heart. The same thing is told to us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, and Revelation 13, 3 through 9. Uh, in their security, they're going to be destroyed. He's going to destroy many in their time of security. That's going to be elaborated on in the next chapter, Daniel 9, 27, actually. He's going to stand up against the prince of princes. That was told to us back in, 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 in 725. That's Jesus. He's going to stand up to him but he's going to be destroyed by the agency of God. Uh, uh, the first casualty of the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be the Antichrist. That's the first casualty. Jesus is going to win. It's, he's going to put to death the Antichrist just by the word of his mouth. Boom! Just like that. So just remember, do not fear these things. The Lord is in control. And then he gets on to this affirmation period in verse 26. He says, the vision of the evenings and mornings which has been told is true. He's saying, he, then he says, he says, but keep this vision secret. In other words, preserve it. Make sure it doesn't get lost. Preserve this vision. <clears throat> it belongs to many days in the future. This is for the end times. That's what this belonged to. It says, then I, Daniel, was, exalt, was exhausted and sick for days. Why would he be exhausted and sick? Well, he saw in a vision the destruction of the Jewish people. Imagine if you are a parent and you just had a vision that was underscored by heavenly beings and in your vision you saw your children being killed before your eyes. Tell me how you'd feel when you woke up. All right? This is what he saw and he told an angel, this is he was told by an angel, what I'm telling you is true. This is the power of what came to him. He saw the destruction of the Jewish people. He had seen the destruction of the Jewish people under Antiochus during this Greek reign. And then he saw the destruction again under this period of the Antichrist. This totally wiped him out. We only have a little bit of a summary of this. We only have a summary. We, we, we just have, have the abstract of what's been said. Because it, it says, he says that, that he's giving us just a summary of what has been told. So we're just getting the abstract. We didn't get the, uh, we just got the children's version. Daniel saw the real thing. He was absolutely exhausted after this thing. And he was sick for days. Remember, Daniel's a strong guy. Daniel's been through a lot already. Daniel's a tough guy. And here he was exhausted and he was sick for days. It says, then he got up again and he carried on the king's business. So we see that even under Belshazzar the king, he had an official role. It wasn't a senior role as he had had under Nebuchadnezzar. But he had a role. He had a role here and he was in the king's service. And he got up and he continued his work in the king's service. But he was astounded at the vision and there was none to explain it, meaning that there was no one else among the wise men that could explain this to Daniel. And he was astounded by it. What I want to capture here is the life of Daniel as we close out this chapter, is that the, the, the difficulty it is in walking with the Lord. What we see in the life of Daniel is we see that it is not easy walking with the Lord. You don't come to the Lord and have a sweet, easy life. That is not the cost of discipleship. Let's look, let's look at the life of Paul. Just give us a short piece of the life of Paul. Look in, in 2, Cor 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
Second Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to read a little bit about uh, uh, some of the things that, that Paul said. Let's read and start at verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the, on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So look at what Paul says. This is a brief summary of Paul's life. This is why when people introduce themselves to me, and people have done this as apostle so-and-so. Like, you're an apostle? You really want to be an apostle? Do you know what the life of an apostle is like? According to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, actually to be called an apostle, you have to have seen Jesus himself. You have to have seen him. The, the physical risen Lord, you had to have seen him. But in any case, this is what Paul went through. He says, he says that uh, um, he had been, he's been in labors and imprisonments. He's beaten times without... He couldn't even remember how many times he's been beaten in service to the Lord. How many times have you been beaten in service to the Lord? Like none. He couldn't even remember how many times he's been beaten it had happened so often. Times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. So the Jews could give 40 lashes, it told them in the law. So they would only do 39 lashes in case they had miscounted. They didn't want to exceed 40 and violate the law. So they would only give 39. Jesus received many more than 39, because the Romans had no such exclusion. The Jews had it to make sure they didn't kill anybody when they were beating them. The Romans didn't have any such thing. They shredded the body of Jesus. He says, five times I've been beaten by Jews with the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And we read about that in, in, uh, in the book of Acts where, where they, they threw stones at him and he died. He says they, they took him to be dead. And then, boom, God raised him back up again. And he went right back into that same city. Imagine how surprised they were. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. Three times I was shipwrecked. Imagine this. <clears throat> Somebody says, I've been in three plane crashes. Would you get on a plane with that person? <laughs> Forget this. not getting on a plane with you. Who, who would ever get on a ship with Paul? Every time the guy got on a ship, you're just like, uh-oh. I don't know what's going to happen. Three times you'd think that if God's teaching him something, one shipwreck would be enough. Three shipwrecks. He says, he, uh, um, he says, he says um, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. That means he was, he was in the Mediterranean, floating in the water, a night and a day. So for 24 hours, he's floating around in the Mediterranean. I mean, this is scary. 
He says, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness. This is service to the Lord. What he's telling us is you want to serve the Lord. And Jesus put before us the cost of discipleship. He puts this before us. He tells us this. Let's, let's look in, in Matthew chapter 10. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he becomes like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they call the head of the house visible, how much more will they do to the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim to the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them? And, and, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not fear. You are worth you're more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. This is serious words. Then he says, do not think I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his, a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. And a man's enemies <clears throat> will be the members of his own household. When you come to the Lord, very often many people will come against you. If you come from another faith and you accept Jesus, very often people, members of your own household will come together, to, will, will come against you. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Look at the cost of discipleship. There is a cost in following Jesus. Are you willing to take that cost? He says, take up your cross and follow me. There is a cost in following Jesus that is serious. Daniel was wiped out. And it troubles me when I see students say, you know, I'm just so busy. I can't, I can't be teaching a Bible study. I don't have time to prepare. Say, well, what is with your life? Who owns you? Who owns you? You don't even have time to prepare a Bible study to teach other people? Do you know how much time in the church is given by volunteers, unpaid workers who prepare Bible studies, who do things, who do so many things in the church so that other people can walk in here and be fed the Scriptures, can be fed the Word of God. People pour out their time. They pour out their energy. They take up their lives. I see men that charge enormous amounts for their time in consulting, but they'll put tens of hours every week into preparing or counseling with people or instructing them in the Word of God. All free of cost. Why? Because they serve Jesus. There is a cost in following Him. You want to follow Jesus? You wake up early in the morning and you spend time with Him. You say, well, I'm really tired. Quit being a little kid. You're not a baby anymore. Grow up. There is a cost in following Jesus. You get yourself up out of the bed and you get on your knees and you open the Word of God and you say, Lord, speak to me. You're not a child anymore. Your sleep is not your own. He says, you take up your cross and you follow me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You are not worthy 
of Jesus if you're not willing to wake up and spend time with Him. He who has found his life will lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You do not find your life until you lose it. Until you take of yourself and sacrifice your time for Him. This is what Christian service is. Daniel was absolutely wiped out. He says, I was sick for days, but I had to get about my work. If you feel like, like, like all of a sudden you got a little cold, you still teach your Bible study. You still be about the work of the Lord. Oh, I, I wasn't feeling good today, so you know I didn't want to do any service for the Lord. The Lord understands. No. What I understand... From the kingdom of God, there are times that you will feel sick. There are times you will feel weak. There are times you'll, you'll feel unable. But you carry out your service for the Lord. This is what He has for us. You carry out your service for the Lord. He has much more. Much more than, than what we think. He says you take up your cross and you follow Him. If you really want to know what it is to walk with Jesus, it is taking up your cross and you're following Him. If you can't spend... 30 minutes a day reading the scriptures and praying, you have a real problem. Trust me, you have a problem. You are a problem child, is what you are. If you cannot spend 30 minutes thanking God, reading the scriptures and say, Lord, speak to me. Get on your knees and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for taking this lightly. There is a cost in following Him. Daniel knew that cost. Jesus never relieved us from this cost. This image that I come to the Lord and everything is going to be grand is foreign to the gospel. This is foreign to the gospel. The disciples, from the time they received the Lord and started walking with Him, trouble started. Trouble started because of their witness. This is what He has for us. This is why Daniel said, I'm exhausted, but I had to get about my work. I had to do my work for the king. So he's doing his work for the king even though he's feeling sick. You get up and you do your service to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray for these young people, Lord. Abba, Father, work in their lives that they would pick up their cross and follow you. Father, that even if they don't feel well, even if they feel sick, Father, that they would take time to follow you. Father, that they would discipline their lives, that they could spend time with you. Father, I pray you're working in their lives. Father, I pray that you work in their lives, that you teach them to pick up service to you, service to our King, and that they would walk with you, that they would count the cost of discipleship, that they would learn to be disciples. Father, work in their hearts, I pray that you would take them from just believing to now being disciples. For the glory of God. Amen.